listening to the cycling podcast Femina. Well, hello and welcome to the Cycling Podcast Feminine September edition. Uh, now, my name is Rose Manley, and uh, unfortunately, I'm not going to be joined by Orla and Lizzie this month. But the Tour de France fam road trip continues, doesn't it, Denny Gray of the British Continental? Because we were on the road together uh, for that race in July, and and here we are on our most recent stop here in beautiful Tooting. <laughs> when will Tooting make it onto the Tour de France fam? Itinerary, that's what we want to know. Well, yeah. Well, obviously, the Tour de France is starting in uh, Holland next year. Maybe Tooting will be a future venue. Maybe we should start the campaign to start the Tour in Tooting now. There is actually, on the way from the High Street to Sainsbury's, there is a very small cobbled road. That could be the main attraction <laughs> of the uh, Tour stage in, right. in Tooting. Let's get on the phone to Christian Prudhomme now. He'll love it. He'll absolutely love it. But yes, we are sitting in the... Well, I've taken you, Denny, to, I think, Tooting's finest pub, uh, the Selkirk. But we are outside, so if you do hear the wind uh, blowing, it's because we've been... Well, there was a wake going on, actually, inside the pub, unfortunately. So we, we're, we're out, uh, out here in the uh, beautiful, cloudy, uh, windy weather. Uh, but we've got, you know, a huge amount to get through, don't we, uh, Denny? Because um, you obviously took the reins uh, with Lionel on the World Championships, which I listened uh, with much interest because I didn't get to see it live. So um, I hope the listeners have listened to that. How was that, doing that? It was great. I mean, it was a fascinating race as we talked about uh, a lot so you, you need to listen back to the episode if you want to hear all about that but uh great to do an episode with Lionel because yes. uh, I haven't done done one of those but um but also I think probably the most exciting race of the world even though there were many contenders so yeah great and we obviously bigged up Lotta Kopecky a lot uh during the tour fam and got to see a kind of different side to her um and uh it was great to see kind of someone with go with so much pressure on her shoulders kind of uh carrying off with a plum that's true and she's actually not to give any spoilers already but she has continued her winning ways hasn't she in the uh, many many races what just even just the women's world tour races uh since the tour de france fam and since the world championships there have been absolutely loads which we're going to try and uh, get through now obviously without all of it can't be an Orla's uh, news roundup so we're going to do things slightly differently on this episode uh, we do have an interview with uh, antonia niedermeyer uh, of Canyon Sram uh, coming up, so listen up for that. Uh, but before then, we're going to try and kind of go through some of the races and, uh, yeah, pick out what kind of thrilled us uh, the most at all of these races. So, well, we'll just get on with it, shall we? Don't we? Why not? Um, so we're going to go all the way back to Tour of Scandinavia uh, first, which actually turned out to be a bit of a thriller for the overall GC, didn't it? Which I think probably no one was quite expecting. Uh, it started with... Yet more sprint domination from Lorena Vibas, who took stages one and three. Uh, but in the middle, middle of that Lorena Vibas sandwich, although actually I'm suddenly realising that it's obviously a Cecily Utrecht Ludwig sandwich, right? Lorena Vibas is the bread in the... <laughs> this has gone... Uh, yeah, yeah is, it's the, the filling that makes the name of the sandwich, isn't it? Yeah, but that's not what normally people say, is it, when they use a sandwich analogy? You say like a Lorena Vibas sandwich, but that doesn't make any... So anyway, we've only just got to the pub. I should say we haven't been here for hours. Um, but in short, in stage two, which was between those two Lorena Vibes sprint stages, Cecily Utrecht Ludwig managed to outsprint Annemiek van Vluten on the Norafiel uh, climb to see her take the leader's jersey, but had to give it up to van Vluten after the stage four time trial, which was won by Grace Brown. So 
The fight for the Tour of Scandinavia title would come down to the fifth and final stage with Utrecht Ludwig only 16 seconds back on Van Pluten and with time bonuses on the line. Utrecht Ludwig went for it in the final kilometre and managed to cross the line first with five seconds advantage on the rest, but it wouldn't be quite enough for the overall, that going to Annemiek Van Fluten by only two seconds. That was a bit of a surprise, Denny, wasn't it? I mean, the, it was amazing visuals because the rain was mm. really mm. coming. To, I mean, torrential rain in Denmark, obviously. Cecilia Utrecht Ludwig, the Danish uh, favourite. Annemiek Van Fluten retiring, you know, the maverick that she is. So it was actually a great little battle at the end that I don't think anyone was quite expecting. No, I mean, I think um, there was a kind of feeling after the world that the, uh, the racing was over, but I think the, the Tour of Scandinavia proved to be a, a great race overall, actually. And uh, I know there are some people that think it should kind of make the case for it being dubbed the Grand Tour, if that's the right... I mean, it, a, a few years ago, it was going to be Battle of the North. That's but, right. But it kind of dropped that... You know, yeah. vibe, and it was going to be a 10-day thing. I'm not sure exactly what happened there, but it was going to be the third Grand Tour, as it were. Yeah, I think there were some funding issues, weren't there? With, um, but um, in any case, um, it was a great race. And um, as you say, I think the the images on that final stage of Cecily Utrecht-Ludwig trying to hold off uh, Annemiek van Vluten were were fantastic. And it was a it was a it was a great little battle when. Uh, Ludwig attacked you could see the the others kind of behind her all looking to Annemiek van Vluten all looking at her to to kind of make up the ground and uh, in the end uh, van Vluten did just enough and then of course there was the kind of the uh, the, the, the the kind of effort to, for the sprint which Phoebus won just behind and that the acceleration behind was for the sprint was actually just enough to make up the seconds that Van Vluten needed uh, to, to win the race. And uh, it, it's always good to see kind of a Trib Ludwig animating a race, but it was also quite fitting for Van Vluten to kind of get a final GC victory in a final year in a penultimate race. Yeah, a fan- fantastic show. Yeah, it was. And, and you could tell actually that Utrecht Ludwig, obviously she's so effusive, she's so passionate, she you know wears her heart on her sleeve. But you could tell even with two stage wins, just after getting that second stage win on the last stage, you could see that she was kind of disappointed mm. that it really, I mean, that was also in Denmark, home crowds. Um, and then so then to have got that winner's jersey there would have really been you know so special for her and you could tell that she was a bit deflated by by not getting it and you know normally I'm also not a fan of the winner of the overall race not having won a stage like Annemiek van Vluten didn't you know win a stage but in a way it's kind of testament to how consistent she was in that race because obviously Cecily Utrecht-Livrig got so many bonus seconds on by winning and you know finishing at the very front on all on all of those so she gets you know a huge margin I think like 28 seconds or something in bonuses and so it just makes you think for Annemie Van Vluten to have won that and not won a single stage as she shows how how strong she was in every single stage there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I guess it was the time trial that made the difference for, for Van Vluten, wasn't it? And uh, and just her, her GC prowess generally, you know, you, you don't win uh, so many Giro Dones and uh, Grand Tours without being so consistent. So, um, yeah, perhaps a, a fitting way, you know, she, as you say, she didn't win a stage and you do feel sorry for Ludwig on kind of um, home ground, having won those two stages, being so aggressive throughout the race. But it, yeah, it, it did make for fascinating viewing. It was. And um, I mean, you mentioned there, obviously, Denny, that it was not Annemiek van Vluten. The Simac Ladies Tour was uh, Annemiek van Vluten's final mm. uh, race of her uh, career. But yeah, this was the penultimate one. And obviously in the Simac Ladies Tour, the racing of which we'll talk a bit more a bit later. But, you know, it was so nice to see Annemiek at the Simac Ladies Tour getting just to 
sit back and enjoy and soak up the crowd, soak up the attention and to see all the banners saying, you know, Badang Tananik and uh, getting, you know, all the credit she deserves for uh, her phenomenal career. And, you know, we're not going to go, we don't want to talk too much about Annemiek Marie because we, we do hope that we're going to be doing a, a podcast later in the year that's a little bit more uh, about her and her story and her career. You know, it is astounding, um, her career, isn't it? Mm, yeah, I mean, it's just... Uh as you say, we'll talk about feature it in another another episode, but it is a, a really momentous moment, if that's not, <laughs> not a terrible phrase to use. But um, yeah, her leaving the sport will will leave a huge hole in uh, in the women's peloton. And it was really, as you say, Rose, it was really lovely to see such a brilliant send off for her. I saw some footage of her kind of crossing the line, kind of behind uh, on on her own to rapturous applause and it was really heartwarming to see um such an end you know such a great finale to her career she's done a couple of interviews she did one with the with the, with her own movistar team kind of talking about her career and, and reflecting on things and um as you say i'm sure we'll have a chance to reflect on things too but she's been really open really gracious and she seems to completely at, at ease uh with with going out on such a high level you know she's still obviously she's just won Scandinavia still obviously um, in great shape but uh, she's going out on her terms in her own way and uh, she's had a great send-off yeah it's I mean it's I mean I just was looking at some kind of you know stats about um, Annemiek van Bluten just just when you put the numbers together to have uh, get your calculator out Denny <laughs> oh, why, why am I talking about numbers I should be talking about numbers you need to get that um I don't think the person on Twitter got enough credit at the time for saying that you're, the giant calculator that you brought uh, around the Tour de France fan with you should have been called Casio Neviadoma. I ruined it. Casio Neviadoma. That stayed with me. That's fantastic. But just to give some of Annemiek van Vluten's kind of numbers, you know, two times world champion on the road, two times world champion in the road time trial, four Giro d'Italias, uh, obviously the Tour de France, uh, fan, the inaugural one, uh, two Liège, Bastogne Liège, two Sole Bianchi, two... Tour of Flanders. I mean, that's not even touching on on all of the wins that she's mm. had. So we are going to talk a little bit later about kind of where does that leave women cycling a bit when such a maverick of, of women's racing uh, leaves uh, the sport. But uh, maybe the clues are in the other races that we've uh, seen already. Maybe. Um, uh, next, of course, we had Plouet, what I call Plouet, but what is officially called uh, Classic Lorient Agglomeration Trophy. Serratas it. If you could have got to the end of that title, then uh, you probably would have been able to get to the end of that race because it, <laughs> it ended uh, in a uh, bunch sprint, uh, that one, uh, with Misha Bredevold, who's a really um, fantastic young talent of SD Works. Uh, again, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but, you know, she's part of their roster of just champions and uh, she took the spoils uh, there uh, a classic that is it's very hilly it doesn't normally kind of finish in a bunch sprint obviously it shows you that um, Misha Braderold is going to be one to watch out for in the future and I hate to break it to you um, but there are, is yet more SD Works <laughs> wins on the way at the Simac Ladies Tour uh, with Lottie Kopecky taking the overall win there after taking uh, the time trial on stage two and uh, the stage that the Valkenberg stage, the stage went on the Kalberg, which is where the Amstel Gold race uh, usually takes place. Uh, and that was on stage four. Uh, so, I mean, the world champion already has, you know, a Women's World Tour win to her name. 
But SC Works didn't have it all their own way. It began with a prologue won by DSM sprinter Charles Cool. Then in stage one, the bunch sprint was won by Elisa Balsamo, which is really a very rare occasion for Lorena Vibus uh, to be beaten in a bunch mm. sprint. And it wasn't to be the only bunch sprint that Webus lost. Obviously, she wins so much. That's why we're talking about it in terms of losses rather than wins. But uh, she also lost to Charlotte Cool uh, in stage three, uh, but managed to rectify her losing streak on the final sprint on stage five. But it was quite a landmark moment, really, for Elisa Balsamo, I thought, taking that win. And I looked it up and it was the, the first time uh, since Depana last year, when Lorena Vibus wasn't even at SD Works, when she stood at DSM, that Balsamo's actually beaten Lorena Vibus in a kind of one-on-one uh, sprint. Yeah, it was, a, it was a big moment for her. Um, and of course, she had that horrendous crash at uh, Ride London and uh, was kind of on her way back at the, the Tall Fam, uh, wasn't she? But probably not quite where she, she wanted to be form-wise. And great to see her her, her beating Vibus and, and, and others, of course, uh, in that stage. Um, it's always difficult to know where riders are at at this time of year. Um, you know, the world came exceptionally early. Uh, the tour fam has been and gone so we're not sure whether riders are kind of just you know racing out their final days or kind of really trying to peak for these last few races to get wins so I'm not sure it tells us a huge amount about where the riders will be next year necessarily but nonetheless I think um, both Balsamo and Charlotte Cool will take huge amounts of confidence for their wins you know these are world tour races of course so big wins um, nonetheless and um, yeah good to see her back back in, in top shape particularly for her team as well, which yeah. hasn't had the best of years. I'm sure they'll be delighted to see her back on form. Yeah, I mean, you could tell actually at the finish line, couldn't you? The huge smiles and, you know, group pictures. And, uh, you know, normally when you see kind of Lorena Rebus win, SC Works are so used to winning, it's kind of they do the hugs and then they all just toddle off to their <laughs> back to the bus. But, you know, Little Trek were staying together and uh, just. Uh, huge smiles um, from her and it's good to see that she's kind of back in their shape and obviously they always say that sprinting is a confidence game so um, unfortunately the season doesn't have you know many more opportunities to to get that kind of confidence back up but going into the winter is a huge booster uh, and it did make me think because on the day that Charlotte Cool beat Lorena Vibus that was the one of those days um, when uh, SD Works was forced to do a little bit more work on the front to bring back a, a breakaway and obviously Lizzie's always saying <laughs> shouting at the TV you know make them do the work and, and that was one of those stages when ST Works did have to do the work mm. they did have to bring back a, a, a break which had a lot of time uh, out in front maybe that did affect the lead out uh, but Charlotte Ockel did say after she had won that um, she feels like she doesn't often get the chance to fully commit to her sprint and fully show what she's uh, made of because sometimes she's in the wrong position. But maybe it's also that SC Works so rarely have to do any work that their lead out for Lorena Webus is not never as tired as everyone else is. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I mean, I think Webus, though, has shown that she can can operate without a huge lead out um, in the past. So, But Charlotte Cool definitely thrives when she has a good lead out train. And uh, to have that in place, I think which she really benefited from. And, you know, I know she got, uh, well, Lizzie, Lizzie criticised the team, didn't, didn't she, during the Tour Fam for um, kind of sticking to the plan, backing her completely, kind of committing to the chase, using up riders in advance. So it'd be interesting to see whether they kind of rethink things in the, in the new year uh, on the back of that. But um, in any case, as you say, a huge confidence boost. Probably also worth um, 
pointing out uh, Zoe Backstead. She finished mm. fifth overall. But obviously a first year um, senior. Having she's just joined the Kenyan SRAM team, having kind of transfers with immediate effect to the team from EF Education, um, where her um, and her, her dad is obviously the DS at, um, at Kenyan SRAM. So it'll be an interesting dynamic. But she seems really happy there. She seems absolutely delighted with her fifth place, and obviously she's been hyped a lot during her junior years and uh, fifth place in a world tour race in her first first season uh, bodes well for her, her her road season next year as well. The cycling podcast Femina is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Now, we have to talk about uh, the Tour de Romandie and it started on stage one with a moment that probably even if you weren't even following the racing, you might have seen it. These These kind of moments, they do kind of go viral to an extent. There were loads of attacks all days on stage one and Karina Schrempf of Phoenix to Kerning went off the front with 2.6 kilometers to go and the chasing pack was behind her. She still had a good gap. She uh, went to celebrate or she did celebrate in fact and was pipped on the line by uh, Sophia Bertitzolo. Just one of those, I actually didn't watch it live. I actually had even seen what had happened and I just had this sinking feeling <laughs> Uh, the whole time when I was watching it. Karina Schrempf says that it wasn't uh, a celebration. <laughs> Sorry, Karina, don't, 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 but she said it was, she was flinging her arms wide in frustration. I don't know, I don't think you buy that, Denny, uh, by the look. I don't buy it completely. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, she obviously clearly frustrated. It's, uh, I don't want to say she's, She's not telling the truth, but certainly the appearance was that a smile on her face, I'm sure, was there. Yes, she yes. seemed like she was about to uh, put her arms in the air and celebrate and unfortunately got pitched to the line. We see it so often, don't we? And uh, I think it's easy to criticise riders for doing so. But of course, when you're on the verge of probably your biggest win oh, yeah. of your career, the adrenaline's going, you're fatigued, uh, you're just metres from the line, it's... I can understand how it can happen, you know, at least also, once anyway. Well, yeah. Also, it's one of those things when people always say, when you're going to make an attack, don't look back. Don't for a second, you know, because every little micro turn of the head to see, you know, who's coming loses you a bit of time, loses you a bit of focus. And so people always say, you know, when, when people make an attack and they're looking back, looking back, looking back, people say, what are you doing? You know, keep going, keep going. And then obviously when you don't look back... That's what, you know, might happen that you might celebrate when, when, I mean, second actually for Karina Schrempf is a great, uh, a, a great finish. Um, she probably won't love the, the photos um, of it, but it's also just shows you Phoenix de Kerning. Uh, again, we, they became a fan favourite, didn't they? The team Phoenix de Kerning at the Tour de France fan because they had this attacking nature and really going all in. And Karina Schrempf, we did actually see her uh, before going for it on stage three in Scandinavia, going for a solo break, staying away for an awfully long time. You know, obviously these things happen. It's part of uh, racing. It seems to happen quite a lot, I always think, actually. Mm. But it's great to see that kind of attacking uh, nature. Again, yeah. Phoenix de Kerning. Yeah, and hopefully hopefully she'll look at look, look back on this uh, with positivity and think, you know, and take confidence from it and, and go on to, to get a victory um, rather than kind of be deflated and 
you just think she, you know, only two more pedal strokes and she might have mm. just got it. But nonetheless, um, as you say, Phoenix, Phoenix de Koenig, another a great attacking performance. And uh, yeah, that would have been their first world tour, or first win, I think, since uh, stage four of the Tour Fam when uh, Yara Castellan won. Yes, it must have been. Ago. Yes, yeah. it's a world tour. Yeah, yeah. it's a world tour yeah. win, certainly, yeah. 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 But I mean, I, I mean, they really punch above their weight, though, don't they? I mean, to, to be a team, uh, not one of the kind of big teams that people talk about um, straight away when they think about women cycling and, and the big riders. Uh, they always seem to come very close. Or, you know, with Yara Castellan, they did actually uh, get a huge result. But, we, you know, we shouldn't take anything away from Sofia Bursitzolo because... No. It's actually also a huge win for her. That is her first yeah. uh, World Tour win, which really surprised me, actually, because she's kind of always knocking on the door. She's always up there. Yeah. No, she's been there or thereabouts, hasn't she? I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I think she was... Uh, Get the Liz, Lizzie around. and I, Becca <laughs> yeah. isn't here, but I think she was third in Plouet. Uh, I'm just yes, say she was. Plouet. Yes. Uh, and, um, and also a good result for uh, UAE, who perhaps haven't had the season they'd hoped for either. I mean, mm. talking about Needle Trek, um, they, yeah, a, a good stage win for them. She's uh, still only 26, which isn't that old when you consider how old Van Vlutener was uh, when she won the Tour Fam. And, uh, you know, r- riders can still kind of uh, be at their peak well into the 30s and 40s on uh, current experience and uh, current state of play in, in the women's peloton. And of course, with that win, she also took the leader's jersey at, at Romandy. But all eyes were on stage two, which was really the, the big mountain stage, because that's kind of, you know, where it was all going to be decided. Uh, and that came down to a Kasia Niviadoma versus Demi Vollering. Uh, Vollering pretty much on Niviadoma's wheel for an awfully long time, pretty much the, you know, the whole time that they were off together. And then pipping her at the end, whizzing round her with about 200 metres to go and taking the win. There was more kind of attacking cat and mouse, more groups yo-yoing everywhere in stage three. Uh, as well, and that came down to a reduced bunch sprint, which was taken by Liana Lipper. Which it was nice to see that celebration again because obviously we saw that at the Tour de France mm-hmm. fam, didn't we? The old yeah. flink, double hand fling, I would say, and the big, big smile, which I know um, some listeners thought, yeah, that was deserving of a peddler's de charm there because it was such a great, joyful smile. But she is, I don't, you know, obviously we won't just kind of glide past uh, Demi Vollering's achievements, um, but really great to see Liana Lipper. Uh, really pushing on from that win uh, at the Tour de France, I feel. Yeah, it felt like it was in slightly similar circumstances in the yeah. sense that you know, it was a reduced bunch sprint. She clearly has a kind of brilliant sense of positioning and timing because the way she took that sprint, uh, she kind of stopped pedalling momentarily to, to kind of choose the right line to sprint, mm. seemed to time it perfectly uh and and then finished it with that with a plum with that kind of you know trademark celebration as you say now uh and uh yeah like a really nice way for her to to kind of round out the season um obviously Annemiek van Vluten's leaving the team people are touting her to be the kind of the new leader of the team obviously she said she was stressed I think in a post-race interview during the tour fam that she's she's not a GC rider in the mold of van Vluten but certainly uh, the team will be looking to other riders to to take up the mantle in terms of winning, uh, and she seems to be you know ha- have have a lot of the the attributes she, the team needs, and she needs to to take more wins next year now. And it, I, like you know, you touched on it there, Denny, but the nature of the win—it was not like she was on someone's wheel and she just suddenly came around. She was kind of in the wind for a, a long time, wasn't she? I mean, she was. Like you said, choosing her wheel, but she wasn't just the easy would have been to sit sit on Marlon Royce and hope that you can get past Marlon Royce right at the the end because she was kind of you know going for it. 
Um, but it was really impressive, and I'm and I'm so pleased also because I think there was a lot of after that. Uh, Tour de France uh, stage win. There was kind of a bit of, oh, well, Lottie Kopecky uh, had a puncher and mm. she had a flat mm. tyre and that's why she didn't quite... Not that it looked like Lottie Kopecky had a, a flat tyre, mm. must be said. Or, or, you know, she didn't... Lottie Kopecky certainly didn't stop pedalling uh, in that in that stage. But, um, you know, it's great to see her get a really decisive... Uh, win on the world tour stage and you know hopefully we can just see more from from here absolutely uh, but we shouldn't just totally gloss over uh, Demi Vollering's win over she took the overall another overall uh, win um, and it was kind of more SD Works tactics so wasn't it really on on stage two a great performance from Anna Shackley mm-hmm. to go off down the road for SD uh, SD Works uh, but then after that it was a lot of um it was again that question of, you know, how can you force SD Works to do the work? How can you force Demi Vollering to come round uh, you? Kind of Kasia, Levidoma, poor Kasia, because it kind of feels like it's been years of being kind of hung out to dry a little bit, like by the Bowles Dolman's machine when it was Lizzie Dyden and Anna van der Breggen. And now with Demi Vollering and Marlon Royce, it's kind of more of the same story where she's just kind of forced on the front, forced to do the work. Uh, knowing that Demi Vollering's thinking, well, I don't have to do anything because Marlon Royce is just behind me, and if she comes back, then that that's great for me. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was another classic SD Works performance, and you know, hats off to Demi Vollering and Marlon Royce are actually for still having the form, the motivation, and the hunger mm. to win again. Um, having cute. you know, kind of won the Tour Fam and ridden brilliantly during the Worlds uh, as well. But um, you know, I have to say also that uh, I felt Canyon Tram rode a really good race. Mm. And although they were kind of slightly outmaneuvered, uh, you know, uh, Nevi Doma had uh, Bounfind and um, Niedermeyer kind of working for her to chase down Anna Shackley. They did a, a, a fantastic job. Um, and then it was down to Nevi Doma. And, you know, she, you could, you might accuse her of maybe kind of getting a bit over enthusiastic. Um, but, I don't know what else could she do? It's yeah, it was difficult, and yeah. but I think she she can take great confidence from from actually running Demi Vollering so close in that race yeah. overall on top of her Tour de France fam kind of uh, podium, and you know going into next year. I mean, I know we'll talk about this again. You know, but she she looks like she's turning into a really good GC prospect. You know, or kind of fulfilling her potential at last. Mm. And the team looks great. You know, they've got a really young team. Niedermeyer and Bounfine worked brilliantly for her in service of her even though they're talented riders in their own right and they've mm. obviously taken great stage wins this year the Giro and Tour Femme um, respectively so um, yeah with Chloe Diger, Zoe Baxter and others kind of on the team I think it's looking really good for Canyon Shram going into 2024 This episode of the Cycling Podcast Feminine is sponsored by LinkedIn Jobs When running a small business, hiring new talent can feel like something of a high-stakes undertaking. You want to be sure that you're reaching the best qualified candidates available so that you'll be able to find the ideal person to join your team. Thankfully, there's LinkedIn Jobs. Now, I know that the Cycling Podcast has used LinkedIn Jobs to great success in the past when we were looking for new hires to join us. The process was easy, fast and particularly importantly for a small business, it's free as well. All you need to do is create a free job post on LinkedIn, add a description of the role and put on the purple hashtag hiring frame onto your LinkedIn profile. 
That way, everyone can see instantly that you're looking for new talent. There's also simple tools like screening questions, which make it easy to identify who has the right skills and experience for your role. In other words, a quick way to find the right person for the job. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs as number one in delivering quality hires against leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash cycle. That's linkedin.com slash cycle to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Well, you spoke a bit about her earlier, Denny, about Antonia Niedermeyer, huge talent uh, at Canyon SRAM. Um, and uh, I caught up with her after her uh, fantastic effort, obviously her Giro stage win um, and uh, just fantastic performance at Tour de Romandie. And this is what she had to say. Well, Antonia, I imagine that at the beginning of the season, you'd have been surprised to hear about how well you've done with a, you know, a Giro stage win already. Yeah, <laughs> it was really surprisingly and um, yeah, I was not really expecting this and yeah, I was really overwhelmed by my feelings in this moment and yeah, it's a great way to start my cycling career. Just tell me, what, what kind of did you expect from this season? You know, if you take us back to kind of February, January, February time, what were you hoping to get out of this year with uh, Canyon SRAM? Yeah, I was like um, a bit sad with the beginning of the season because of my uh, new surgery. Then I came back and I was like expecting to help the team and um, yeah, just have a role to yeah help the, our GC riders and our great riders. But I was never expecting to be one of, of them. Like, um, yeah, it was really great that the development was there. And yeah, I was expecting to learn a lot, but I wasn't expecting to be so good in, in the front. And what did that come from the team? Did Was it the DSs saying, you know, Antonia, you actually have a, a really good chance to to be one of those riders that can win races and win stages? Uh, or is that something that you, you think you proved earlier on, just, you know, by your positioning and your, your skills in the races earlier on in the season? I think the expectations were pretty high because they knew that I have a, a talent and that I, that I can do things really good. I also think that they knew that I'm not really good in the peloton because I'm so new in cycling. So it was like also for them looking what I can do in the peloton and in the races. So I think it was like a bit trying what I can do and what I cannot do. And tell you, I mean, you say you're kind of new to cycling. You're, is it ski mountaineering that your is your your background? Tell us how did you get into to being a cyclist? Yeah, exactly. I'm from ski mountaineering and from mountain running. And so in 2019, there were no mountain runs because of COVID. Mm. And um, so my father just um, asked me if I want to do some bike races. And I was like, yeah, why not? And then I um, did the Bavarian Championships. And then um, Mario van Hof saw me there. And then he was asking me if I want to join his junior team. And then I joined in the next year. And then um, I also went straight to Europeans and Worlds with the time trial because I was really good on it. Yeah, Ronnie was uh, also seeing me and asked me if I want to join the, the generation team he wants to build up because it was the first year. And he also wanted to have a German rider. And then, yeah, I joined the generation team last year and then the world to this year. So it was, yeah, really... Um, fast way in the pro cycling career. I mean, it sounds like a, a total kind of whirlwind, but I mean, obviously there must be skills that you 
transfer from ski mountaineering from mountain run what are those skills that you can bring to cycling from those sports yeah i think it's uh, pretty much the same um, kind of thing you're doing like the endurance is pretty much the same so um also that's also why i was really good in time trial first and not really good in the peloton because the time trial was really similar to the things we have in ski mountaineering like it's 20 minutes uh, just for gas and uh, i was really really used to it and um so i think that's one thing i could take from ski mountaineering and yeah also like i think in general it's really a good thing to do something in winter and summer and i think that's also good for my cycling career and uh, so i believe you you still do the ski mountaineering but you just do you're going to do it in the winter from now on and then do cycling in summer so you ca- you're carrying on with the double sports is that right yeah exactly i want to try um, to also be in ski mountaineering I, I wanted to try it last year also but then i had a, a knee injury um but so we tried this season like the first season of doing both yeah of course i do not that many races in winter but um yeah quite a few and yeah we're really looking forward to try this and to yeah also carry it on to uh, olympia 2026 in uh, italy because it's the first time for ski mountaineering getting Olympic and I really want to yeah, be part of, of it because I really saw the development from the beginning to now in ski mountaineering and it's really amazing what happened there. Wow, what, what do your like, fellow ski mountaineer, sp- mountaineers, ski mountaineers, what do your fellow ones do in the summer? Because, I mean, obviously you're taking on a, a totally different sport and actually being, you know, one of the best uh, riders in the peloton at the moment. Do, do your other ski mountaineers, do they just spend, you know, go to the gym or how do they prepare for their events? Uh, yeah, I think a lot of uh, ski mountaineers are actually riding bikes. Like it's a really good uh, sport in summer to do. Um, of course, they are also doing mountain running and uh, going with the ski rollers. But I think pretty much um, cycling is also there so yeah also when we go on training camp in summer with the ski mountaineering team we also are there with our um, bicycles i think also like a lot of um, ski mountaineers are also doing summer sports like mountain running or mountain biking or something like this does it change your mind having such a successful season uh, on the bike this year does it kind of change, you know, your ambitions and what you want to pursue in the future? Because, you, you know, you have had such a successful year. Yeah, of course, it's really nice to have uh, success. But um, I think I stayed pretty much the same. Like I, I have my goals I want to reach and I have uh, my things I want to do and what I want to do with my life. And so I think that's pretty much the same. But of course, it like it's different uh, from the beginning of the year. And I also know that I did the right thing with going in, in cycling in the second sport because I was like not quite sure if I'm yeah it was really new for me and I was not sure if the girls would accept, accept me and um, yeah, it was a bit difficult for me in the beginning but mm. you know since I have the success I really feel that I did the right thing there. Is it very kind of culturally different the two sports? 
Uh, yeah, definitely. So it's completely different. Like uh, ski mountaineering is like it's a really little sport. Like there are not really a lot of people doing it, and it's really yeah familiar. And we we like a little family, and um, yeah, everybody everybody knows everyone. And yeah, it's completely different to cycling. Like there's also not too much money, so we yeah it's really yeah working together. And and cycling it's much bigger and uh yeah a lot of yes more professional so it's completely different but it's also really nice so i really enjoy this but i also enjoy the winter like the simple things there and how has it been being on canyon sram this year because it obviously the team's been around for years and years but it feels like a bit of a breakthrough uh year to see not only Cash and Nivea doma doing so well but of course also ricardo baronfeind being up there at least shabe um, how great has it been to be uh, in that team? Yeah, it's uh, really great to be in this team and I really like to see how we are developing and also with uh, Maggie um, as our DS now, it's really good and we have a lot of changes and also I really like that our team is very young and um, like everyone can try something. It's not that just one rider is the, yeah, the middle of the team, it's like everyone can try something and it's really nice to be in in such a team and have you noticed since winning that Giro stage that the other riders are a bit more wary of of letting you go on a solo attack or they're 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 watching you a bit more yeah I think so Um, of course they were also in the Giro like they were not riding when I did my attack because they did not know that I'm um, really strong and I feel like now when I'm doing something um, the, the girls are like looking a bit closer and uh, be a bit aware of what I am doing. That must be such a strange kind of feeling that you come into the sport and immediately people are kind of watching out for you. Yeah, it's really strange, especially because um, I have really problems with um, knowing other girls from other teams Mm. because, yeah, I did like maybe 10 races with them together and so it's really um, hard for me to know the girls and but they obviously know me so it's really yeah <laughs> really strange sometimes and obviously you're one of uh, I mean I mentioned uh, Ricardo Baumfeind already um, but also uh, Liana Lippert who's just a, a few years older you kind of a generation of German riders that are coming through that are supremely talented what do you uh, put that down to this kind of uh, new crop of German riders uh, yeah I really don't know but uh, I think it's really nice that the German um, girls are coming back and that we have like um, German girls in the front now again but I really don't know where it comes from like um, yeah maybe we have of course we have a good national team and um, they, they're really looking out for good girls also from other sports I think that's also a really good thing that uh, you are not just looking for cyclists for like eight-year-old girls in cycling um, you're also looking for like yeah teenagers in other sports so maybe that's uh, a point where the, the Germans uh, yeah like a bit they do a bit more in this in this direction maybe but I don't know exactly and, and Tony what are your kind of ambitions for next year you know and also are you looking are you hoping to do you mentioned the Winter Olympics obviously but are you hoping to also be in the Summer Olympics and the Winter Olympics yeah of course I, 
I mean, that's uh, really my biggest um, goal or my biggest dream to be like in Summer Olympics and then Winter Olympics. And yeah, of course, next year is uh, Olympia in Paris. And um, yeah, it's really a good goal to go there. But um, I think we'll see what's coming next year. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm happy with every everything I can learn uh, out of cycling. And yeah, then we, we will see. So my name is Hamish and I'm the product manager here at MAP at our HQ in Melbourne. My role is responsible for building MAP's product roadmap and guiding the process to bringing those products to life through the development journey and handing them over to the marketing and creative team. So in terms of the selection process for materials, that requires having really close relationship with the mills the partners that we work with. They're, they're the fabric manufacturers and we work closely with them to lay out what are the performance requirements for our garments. Also, so we're utilizing their expertise to you know, steer us into the materials that are going to deliver that maximum performance for what we need. In terms of what we use in the range currently, we utilize recycled nylon and also recycled polyester. For a lot of performance product, nylon and polyester are key materials because they have really amazing uh, properties, whether they're super lightweight, they're really they're extremely durable and they provide a lot of quick dry properties, which is so critical for cycling especially. Those materials are actually, they're basically broken down uh, into essentially like pellet form and then recreated into yarn. And then thinking about the products, like probably the best example that we, uh, this year for 2023, we launched our new Evade Pro Base 2.0 jersey. And this jersey utilizes a 70% uh, recycled nylon yarn to the point of asking, like, can you tell the difference between what's a, what's a virgin fabric using virgin fibers versus recycled fibers. Fundamentally, we don't want the customer to be able to identify the difference because, you know, if this is a material that is qualified, the right experience must be equal to or better than, you know, that's basically our approach to using recycled materials. Well, before the break there, we heard from Antonia Niedermeyer, obviously a fantastic young talent and a ski mountaineer. Uh, as well. There can't be many of those uh, in the peloton. But, you know, she's one of a number of, of young talents that are coming through now that are able to go and win, you know, Grand Tour stages. You also talked about Ricarda Baumfind um, earlier. And, of course, we got to have uh, the, the delight of seeing a Tour de l'Avenir uh, this year. So we got to see where some of the young talents uh, might come from. Of course, Annemiek van Vluten leaving the sport this year is kind of an end of an era a little bit. Maybe it's a kind of time for a, the baton to be passed on. Um, Annemiek, even, you know, in this, her final year, has taken so many wins. Where, Denny, do you think we're going to see the wins, the great rivalries come from now? It's really interesting. I mean, I guess in her later years, Annemiek van Vluten was, you know, definitely a, a GC rider. And this year, of course, in the run-up to the Tour Fam, it was all about Damey Vollering and Annemiek van Vluten. Mm. Well, I don't think we gave it airtime to any other <laughs> any other GC potentials uh, in the run-up, and um, and and it will be interesting to see how it plays out in the Grand Tours next year. Um, I mean, calendar-wise, they are more spaced out, so there's a potential for uh, the big GC riders to 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 target all three of them. Um, but in any case, um, you know, who I guess the question is who who might rival Damie Vollering. Mm. Uh, in the Grand Tours uh, without Annemiek van Vluten there. I think we've seen some clues. 
so far. Go on, tell us what the clues are, Denny. It's <laughs> <laughs> a very sly way of getting out of answering the question. <laughs> well, well, we've talked about uh, Nevia Dome already, and um, it felt like uh, her podium on the um, uh, the Tall Fam, and particularly her performance on Stage Seven, uh, uh, on the way to the the, the top of the Tourmalet, was a real breakthrough moment for her, and the moment where I think especially because as she backed up with a great t- a time trial on the next day in, in Poe, she felt that she'd really kind of come of age as a, as a GC rider. And, you know, we just talked about uh, Romandy, where she ran Demi Voring very close. So give it a, um, a, a good winter. We could see her challenging uh, next year. But overall, I feel like it, there's Annemiek van Vluten has is going to leave a little bit of a vacuum. Mm. And I know we talked about this a bit off air, Rose, but there are lots of young riders around that we've kind of touted as potential future stars. But next year feels like the opportunity for some of those stars to step up and begin to fill that that vacuum. Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? Because and I mean, Fabrizio, obviously we talk about that, you know, her GC rivalry, Demi Vrolling, but that's also a Spring Classics rivalry. You know, it yeah, is actually yeah. throughout the calendar that we're seeing those two go toe-to-toe and of course we did uh, have this didn't we with Anna van der Breggen it was like Anna van der Breggen versus Annemiek van Vluten and then Anna van der Breggen went and he was like well who's gonna be the new Anna van der Breggen and the answer was Demi Vollering will be the new Anna van der Breggen and uh, and then so you know maybe kind of the art you know and also you know at that point kind of Demi Vollering her trajectory was actually huge actually you know it wasn't like she was kind of uh, up there for a very long time. She kind of went from not nowhere, um, but you know, she suddenly became a race winner. Uh, I think so. I, you know, in a way, we kind of maybe we don't even know who the the person is going to be yet. But I mean, there are, like you said, Denny. You know, a lot of names who are very young, and and we've seen it is a bit different from men's cycling because in men's cycling, all the the big stars of the moment, the big GC winners, they're all, you know, young guns. They're all, you know, early 20s to mid-20s, pretty much. And it's different in women's cycling. You know, we've got Annemiek Van Vluten, who's still top of her game. And if she wanted to carry on for years, I'm sure that she could and she could carry on, you know, getting wins. Um, but, you know, she's 40 years old. And uh, so I think it's it's does seem to be a maybe a little bit of a vacuum but we have kind of seen people maybe not at their full potential you know Elisa Longo Borghini yeah. is always touted as a great DC hope but you know she she hasn't uh, she's you know kind of been beset with illness and injury uh, this season so we haven't really seen her at the top of the game and it's also um, you know it's interesting we picked out Kasia Nevia Doma uh, because I remember at, at the Tour de France fam, she was saying that she has put a lot more effort into endurance climbs those longer climbs and she has lost a bit of that punchy nature uh, apparently she's lost it we, I mean it didn't <laughs> seem like that at, at Romandy watching Romandy she seemed to be constantly being very punchy but you know apparently she has taken a bit of a uh, a knock on her punchiness to be better at those endurance climbs obviously she's putting a lot of effort into her time trialing which is also a kind of another weakness of hers so you know it, you know maybe we'll we'll see people specializing a little bit more um and not kind of going for for all of it instead of maybe you need to do that when you have kind of the might of st works to contend with maybe you need to be a bit more of a specialist it's interesting because it feels like in some ways in the women's peloton we're seeing a trend towards greater specialization 
and I say that kind of reservedly because obviously we've seen lots of Lotta Kopecky doing an amazing job of kind of winning classics and coming second overall in the Tour Fam. But I think as the as the level rises within the women's peloton, I think some degree of specialisation will become increasingly important. So we may not see kind of riders dominating throughout the season in the way we have done in the past. But you know, clearly Damie Vollering would probably argue otherwise, and mm. Lotta Kopecky also. But it might mean that we see a new generation of riders coming through that do specialise in the classics or the Ardennes or Grand Tours. The Tour de l'Avenir was really fascinating, I I thought, because there were riders that we touted as future stars like Shirin Van Anroy and Anna Shackley and Guy Riolini and and Niedermeyer, of course, but haven't really had the chance to race for themselves Mm -hmm. in a kind of uh, tour setting. Well, they're racing for the nations, obviously, at at l'Avenir as well, which is, it does change it slightly, doesn't it? Because then they kind of a little bit freed from the the trade team hierarchy uh, a little bit. Yeah, you know, and Shirin and Van Anroy won that, which bodes really well for her kind of future as a GC rider. I found it fascinating listening to or reading an interview with Anna Shackley after um, the Tour de l'Avenir that she'd never ridden a 20-kilometre-long climb before in her life uh, and clearly does all right at them because yeah, she finished second overall. I think it's important. It's good to have a race like that where riders can test themselves out in an environment where they haven't had a chance to test themselves either as leaders or on that kind of terrain because those kind of big long mountain stages are fairly rare still in the women's calendar. So who knows, maybe that will give riders like Shackley and Raylene and Van Anroy the, the motivation to maybe train in a slightly different way and tailor how they target races in a different way in the future too. And we don't, of course, have that kind of under-23 race uh, circuit in the women's side of things. So you can't, uh, you know, the, the... I do think that you see a lot of the juniors who come into the sport, they kind of go quiet for a couple of years before they kind of build up the know-how. Um, you know, we saw with Pfeiffer Georgie. I mean, she's a uh, fantastic talent and was, as a junior, just uh, imperious, pretty much, uh, on the junior circuit. And then obviously she stepped up to DSM and then, you know, she went quiet for a few years and now we're kind of, you know, seeing, you know, she's a road captain at a very young uh, age uh, and has a huge amount of experience and a huge amount of confidence and potential knows how to race. Um, But because you don't have that under 23 uh, step, you know, you are kind of, the rides are a little bit more in the deep end. Although I say this, obviously you said earlier, Zoe Back said has just been flying uh, and she's pretty much come... Or, you know, she's not that far out yeah. of being a junior herself. But I think with Backstead, she's she's obviously got amazing siphoning heritage and her family. She's always raced. And so her racecraft is second to none, I imagine, you know, in, on the road compared to some other riders. I think we often see um, riders will join the kind of world tour ranks or lower and have amazing athletic potential. But and, and they show that in kind of lower races where perhaps kind of jostling for position or kind of racecraft isn't as important. Hmm. But then actually when they get thrown into the bigger races, they don't succeed in the way that you might think they would if you just go on kind of aerobic capacity or endurance or whatever. So I think the under 23 tier, if it emerges a bit more, of course, by 2025, uh, we should have a, a standalone under 23 race for, in the world uh, for women. Um might be a, a way for riders to kind of in, kind of learn that racecraft before they're thrown into the deep end of the world tour. And I think Niedermeyer and Bowen find a great examples of why a development pathway is needed for some riders. You know, riders develop in different different time times uh, different time trajectories, don't they? I mean, there was a st- actually a study. Oh, 
published recently by... Uh, Get the filing cabinet, Denny's filing cabinet. Filing, this is, it's yes, not the Put the calculator aside <laughs> by Arno Kulik at um, the University of Technology Kaiserlaut- Kaiserslautern. ran a study looking at the, the top juniors uh, across sport, actually, ma- mainly athletes and cyclists versus the top seniors. And the conclusion was that the most successful juniors don't always become successful seniors, which is perhaps, mm. which is when you think about it, you know, it's obvious, you know, the amount of juniors that have been successful, but then haven't kind of made it in the, in the world of seniors, you can probably kind of easily tot up a few and, and, and vice versa. So we know that, as you say, said earlier, Rose, you know, we, we don't know when someone's going to make that leap to, to become a kind of top tier rider. And it could be, it doesn't have to necessarily even be one of the young talents we've just mentioned. It could be someone kind of in the mid twenties, late twenties, early thirties, who who just needs to make that step. I mean, they're right. I mean, Christi- Christina Schweinberger has had a brilliant year. I think she's 26, um, rode, rode an amazing race in the world. She didn't, she wasn't particularly successful um, as a junior, but seems to be coming into her own now and could go on to become, you know, a race, a regular race winner next year. So it's really interesting to see the way different riders develop in different time paths. Well, That's I mean, yeah, but I mean, it's, it's exactly like, uh, you know, Annemiek Van Vluten is kind of the perfect example uh, of that. I mean, she kind of, uh, she was always a relatively, did all right as a, as a bike rate rider before kind of 2016, when she kind of moulded herself yeah. into being a, a real climber and a real uh gc champion and you know but that's only that's only well i need to i need your casio nevia doma just to just to work out how many years ago that was it's only seven years so you know seven years so that means you know she was only starting that process kind of when she was 33 which you know uh if you weren't kind of the person winning at 33 a lot of people think that that you're not going to win you're never going to win but obviously that's not um that's not true and i think um, you know, there have been studies also that, that suggest that women get better at kind of endurance things as they get a bit older. You know, they're not at their their prime in terms of endurance um, sports when they're in their early 20s. So that kind of uh, growth can be expected uh, from some of the younger riders. But basically, we've just tiptoed around it, Denny, haven't we? Haven't really. We offered up a few uh, names, but it is a struggle to see uh, a rival to Demi Vollering with the setup that she has at SD Works at the moment because that I think is also the key thing is that so many of her wins uh, have come from the fact that she has this monster team you know yeah. Marlon Roy yeah. you know when you have Marlon Royster just behind if you didn't have Marlon Royster in a lot of these races then the tactics would be totally different because Demi Vollering wouldn't be able to just sit on someone's wheel and um, and wait but uh, you know um you know, we've been kind of saying that all year, haven't we? Really? Yeah, I mean, they definitely benefit from their strength and depth. But that's not to say she wouldn't she wouldn't thrive uh, without such a strong team behind her. That's the beauty of cycling, isn't it? I mean, you might look at the rosters for for the teams next year and think, well, it looks like we're set for another year of SD Works domination. But we never quite know what's around the corner. And uh, Canyon and Tram have shown us that they're kind of on the rise with their with the set of young riders, which we mentioned earlier. Nivia Doma looking like she's become going to become more of a GC threat. Uh, and then we've got Little Trek, of course, a, a big budget team who haven't been on on their game as much. I mean, they've been missing Ellen Van Dyke, haven't they? She's been on maternity leave, and she's kind of like the Marlon Royster of Little Trek, really. She's the big engine, kind of that. You know, they rely on that to to be in race winning positions. Absolutely, yeah. And she's planning to come back next year. I think on Instagram, I saw that she'd ridden seventeen thousand kilometres in forty weeks in the run up to her uh, uh, the birth. 
of her child. So she's clearly aiming, got 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 uh, next year in Paris in mind, I'd imagine, with the with the TT. But yes, I mean they'll have her back, and um, you'd imagine they'd be looking to to shake things up to to make sure that they they get back to where they should be. Um, and we never quite know what's around the corner. So and we have like a new team, you know, EF Education Cannondale uh, next year. A new team, although obviously it's got a very similar name to EF Typico SVB, but it's actually an, a new team. So that kind of plays into a, a, a new dynamic. And, uh, you know, I saw Claire Steeles and Kat Ferguson, who's someone that you picked out, have gone to Movistar, mm. uh, which is a, a big, big jump up. So, you know, when you have that kind of stronger team, you know, a stronger team setup. You know, Claire Steeles, we've seen her at the business end of so many races this year. And she's been riding for Israel Premier Tech Roland, obviously a very small team. Uh, you know, she's not in those positions with teammates that she that, that can also uh, play the game. So uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what we get next year. But we still have a few races uh, out in China. Chongming and Guangxi uh, still to come this uh, year. They don't, They you know, they do tend to get a little bit forgotten. Chongming used to be in May, actually. And it's kind of like just going back and forth on the M4, um, effectively. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it's, it's an important for the riders uh, who are still looking for, for the teams that are looking for points, for one thing, uh, and the riders that are still looking uh, for contracts. And, you know, it, it is an important uh, part of the calendar. Yeah, I mean, you wonder, you wonder, kind of who will see racing there, um, but of course there is still the the twenty twenty four Women's World Tour promotion or kind of license battle that's going on. Uh, the kind of top fifteen teams uh, from on UCI points over twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three are guaranteed, or kind of as long as they pass the kind of fitness tests to, to make uh, World Tour level again. And at the moment, it looks like there should be fifteen teams applying and 15 teams uh, being granted World Tour licenses. Of course, we've got 15 teams, haven't we, at the moment who are at the World Tour level. And the old EF team, or the current EF team, will be stopping at the end of the season, and that's been confirmed. And, of course, we've got Jayco Alula and Liv uh, Racing Tech Find merging, so that leaves kind of two spots open based on the current rankings, of course, and that may change given the, the races in China and elsewhere. It looks like it will be AG Insurance and uh, Sarah Tizit who take those places. We know that they're keen to uh, apply for Women's World Tour license. But then there's also the quirk that the top two ranked continental teams in 2023 will receive auto invites to the Women's World Tour next year. And I was looking at the rankings uh, for this. And at the moment, the top two teams are uh, Kofidis. Mm, which you'd understand. You see plenty of them. Tashkent City Women. <laughs> and they're, they're, an Uzbek, they're a team from Uzbekistan and it looks like they've accumulated most of their points through the Uzbekistan National Championships you get 100 points for winning that and Ooh. looking at the uh, looking at the championships and the road race the entire road race was made up of riders from their team so they kind of that doesn't seem fishy at all all of it? the points <laughs> fantastic um, so it would be, I, I don't know whether they'd ever take up their auto invite if they were to get one but um, that's looking quite quite an interesting uh, little race there so uh, one to keep an eye on I think well yes I know we're going to be looking up in every Uzbekistan race we're going to be looking up what happened aren't we Why, I don't think the cycling podcast um, budget will stretch to sending us out to Uzbekistan to cover uh, the races uh, out any ra- if there are any races still to come uh, this season in Uzbekistan but uh, well maybe we can keep that in mind a little uh, 
profile on the Tashkent City women's team? One to keep an eye on, I think. Yeah, I'd be interested to see how it plays out and whether they, if, even if they qualify to get these auto invites, whether they take them up. I mean, they haven't raced in uh, Europe as far as I know. But uh, again, Lizzie, fact, our fact checker, <laughs> is not on hand to correct me. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there you go. I mean, we uh, if that hasn't whet everyone's appetite for the next episode, uh, I don't know what has. But, um, well, Denny, thank you very much to coming down uh, the uh, rough end of Wadsworth, uh, as we'll call it, uh, and joining me um, to talk about uh, women's cycling from this last month. That's been a pleasure, Rose. Thank you. And, uh, well, we'll see uh, what teammates line up uh, on the Cycling Podcast, uh, teammates uh, for, for next month in October. Obviously, we do have those two uh, World Tour races uh, still to come, and we'll hopefully be giving a bit more time to talking about the movers and shakers. Obviously, we touched on it there, but the transfers and the teams that will be uh, set up. So, uh, yes, join us next time. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb and Lionel Burney.